0: Welcome. You're listening to the CMS Podcast, where legal experts and industry leaders from around the world provide key insights on a diverse range of topics. In today's podcast, CMS UK partner Public Procurement, Graham Young, will talk about legal scenarios for PPP projects in the UK. This episode was recorded during the CMS Public Procurement Forum in Amsterdam. Please visit our podcast channel for other episodes in the series. Thank you, thank you, Petra. Uh, well, hello, everyone. Um, and you can learn absolutely nothing from the crazy Brits, uh, particularly uh, at, this, at this moment. But I, I was, I, I'm going to give you uh, a view of... Uh, so in a PPP context, uh, and I'll come round to two-stage tendering, and I, th- and I think I'll cover much of the same ground as Chris has done, but from a different uh, perspective. I should say I'm, I'm, a, I'm a procurement lawyer, so I'm not a contracts lawyer. So I'm, d- uh, when I, when I, I'm going to start, start talking about a few... Uh, contractual models, uh, so I'm relying on one of my colleagues to shout me down if I, uh, if I start brutalising their contracts. Um, but, and I'll try and keep it pretty short. But so so uh, I wasn't gonna give, I'll give you a shortened version of the history <laughs> and evolution of uh, the PPP procurement in, in the UK. Uh, I'll look at the particular tendering models, so it's the procurement models, and it comes to, to, to Chris's point about that being the issue... Uh, that the RWS has identified and how um, we deal with it. And I imagine we deal with it probably in the same way Petra does, <laughs> actually, with our, with, with, with our projects. Uh, I'll look at the common sort of issues uh, with, with some of those tendering models uh, and then uh, bring in the 2 point uh, Essentially what I'm talking about is when or how we can get a two-stage mo- tendering model into these bigger PVP contracts in a way that allows um, uh, an, a, an appointment of a contractor to be made at an advanced stage, uh, and how to work through, so you're only deciding on price at a later stage when there's more certainty uh, in the contract, which is, a, which is essentially is a common theme, I think, of what we're talking about. Uh, okay, so th- here's a nice picture. So this is, this is uh, ni- 1992, this is the, the Skybridge, the first uh, UK PFI private finance initiative project. Uh, I was uh, mid, mid-90s, I was a trainee solicitor in the Scottish Government, uh, and there was a lot of resistance to PFI, uh, including uh, a mad man called uh, Robbie the Pict, uh, who used to phone up the solicitor's office and complain uh, in detail about the type of contract that was being used and how it was being procured. Uh, but the the, the PPP, uh, sorry, the, the PFI um, one, as it was called, model uh, was uh, was w- was born. Then by t- 2014, there were over two hundred, 725 of these uh, big projects procured. Uh, they were driven as as and, uh, I'm going to get term, try and match the terminology to Chris, but so it's a, it's a fully integrated uh, contract and, and procurement process essentially. So it's a a single turnkey contract, everything up front. Uh, and then you go out to the market and try and get uh, get uh, get uh, debt to pay for the capital costs, and it's a unitary charge for a, for a 25 to 30 year period uh, uh, to 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 pay that off. So it doesn't sit on the government's balance sheet, um, it doesn't doesn't affect the, de- the GDP uh, debt debt issues and so on. Uh, and no, no surprise to to everyone that um, that ran its course. Uh, it had political objections to it. Um, but one of the sort of fundamental points was getting this risk, this transfer, risk balance. And from a procurement point of view, the theme that here for me is the is is how, how much you need competition to drive um, that 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 value for money, uh, and how much you need actually uh, certainty and and a, and a, and a decent contract to, uh, to, to to do that. And what what actually it does is it just competition equals value for money, or is or or, or is it um, uh, something else? So you had the whole, the, the model developing PF, PF2, as it, as, as it was called, is essentially a uh, more standardised model to try and balance the risk a bit better uh, in the in the arrangements. Uh, but then, then you had, um, and there's some similarities here to two-stage two tendering. You have um, strategic multi-project partnering arrangements. Uh, so partners, and I'm sorry, I'm using lots of acronyms here, but uh, partnership for schools uh, was schools programmes. Uh, LIFT was the NHS arrangement, and it was essentially uh, the, these are programs of project, individual projects uh, so there 's a strategic partnering um, agreement uh, so that, that that is the main procurement and it can either be as a joint venture or as a single contract arrangement and from that you have the individual projects coming out and there um, there 's a, there's a relationship to, to framework agreements here, uh, but you, you have essentially the, 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 the parameters of price. Uh, and other elements of the, or have, have to be set at that level. And the question from a procurement rules point of view is to what degree of certainty do you have to have over those pricing elements uh, and to allow you then to demonstrate that your, um, your, your original procurement effectively is covering the delivery of all those individual projects. The one that I'm particularly familiar with is, is the hub model, which is, uh, so that's very similar, but hub is uh, as, in, as in there are five um, geographical territories in, in Scotland, uh, and so all uh, local authorities, NHS, uh, look, looked at their capital um, infrastructure requirements and put them in a, 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 a 10 to 15 year program, uh, created a, an SPV vehicle um, with a supply chain, uh, g- gave exclusivity for a 10 year period for, uh, and With a list of a number of pipeline uh, projects that would be included, uh, and then um, some commitments about future projects that would be d- that would be developed in that in that period. And again, if, if we're talking about two-stage tendering and that need uh, for that design as that design stage develops to identify a p- final price, if we can't if we can't do it in a single project, how are people managing to do it uh, in these in these huge huge strategic projects, which which are already. In, certainly, in the UK, are being used extensively, uh, and we you know we, we've 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 been to, to we, we like QCs in, uh, in in the UK. So we've got council's opinion on them. They have been looked at in procurement challenges. The actual model itself hasn't been hasn't hasn't been questioned. So so that, that that's um, uh, non-profit distributing models and the mutual investment model are two uh, uh, separate types of PF. So, but essentially it's the same sort of integrated single turnkey solution. Uh, but that model is just designed to, d- design to uh, stop the uh, private sector profiteering from these contracts, which, as we've heard, is, uh, is uh, not really um, what, what seems to be happening. So that's the history and piece. Just quickly, and this is you know, procurement context, and I think there'll be some parallels to uh, the position you have here in the Netherlands. Uh, so um, pre-2006, we loved the negotiated procedure for all these projects. Um, we had uh, some cases, the London Underground case is a European Commission decision, it's actually a state aid decision. But that clearly sort of said, if you're using a negotiated, <coughs> excuse me, a negotiated procedure, it was understandable that these were long-term complex contracts and that they would evolve over, over time. And there were, there, as long as there was some basis for changes that were, were being made, it was accepted that they weren't being fundamental, sort of substantial changes to the contract. Pimlico Schools was slightly different. That, 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 that was the European Commission uh, taking issue with uh, the use of negotiated procedure as a sort of default procedure for large construction projects. Uh, and the basic issue they had is that they were seeing contracts being procured in 12 months and the preferred bidder stage on projects lasting for two years. I think, I, when I, uh, earlier in my practice, I did one which preferred bidder stage, which ran for, ran for six years on a, on a, on a project. Um, so th- that that was that was the, the commission's concern was well you're getting the preferred bidder too quickly, um, you and essentially there you would have early contractor agreements. Uh, so th- these these would be running underneath the whole procurement thing, and there'd be a negotiation of the uh, of the of the main of the main contract. Um, but the commission probably rightly was concerned that there were just too many deviations along the way with that preferred bidder, and effectively it was reopening the whole original competition. So that's why we, um, and competitive dialogue, as I understand it, and it was very much driven by uh, the European Commission's perception of the UK procurement and trying to design something that fixed the perceived issues that the European Commission had with the negotiated procedure. At least that's the way that we were taught it. Um, and these uh, so competitive dialogue came in in 2006 uh, and was used as a default um, for all these big uh, project projects from then. There's given how much they've been used, there's not that much guidance, but there's treasury guidance. Uh, Their um, competitive dialogue quickly got a bad name uh, for having very high tender costs. Uh, The concept of dialogue being too opaque, too vague, uh, and and, and the the procedure lasting for a long time uh, and being pretty unhelpful. So they... um, this is a politician called Francis Maud. Uh, he he introduced uh, what he called the Lean Procurement Initiative, which is basically to try and strip as much out of the process as possible, um, <coughs> which sort of dealt with the, some of the symptoms of the of the problem, but not didn't sort of provide a cure. Uh, then we have, and we all have this, the new procurement directives since 2014 uh, across across the European Union, and we have essentially uh, a free choice between what's now called the competitive negotiated procedure. Uh, our, our competitive procedure with negotiation, CPN, or the competitive dialogue. And what, we, what we've seen in the UK uh, is, is a move back towards something resembling a negotiated procedure. And again, I, I think there's a parallel here to two-stage tendering, where if you, if you think of uh, uh, an initial competitive procurement and, a, and, a, and a, a framework type of arrangement by which you then develop the project and get to a final price, um, that's, there are some similarities when you when you when you when you when you, when you um, step back into what might be a negotiated procedure, which is more f- which is more more fluid. Uh, and that and that and at that, that point, and I'm a, as I said, I'm a, a procurement lawyer. Um, but my mantra to clients, certainly if I'm advising on the public sector side, is uh, is that it's the contract, the ultimate contract that drives the procurement. It's not the procurement that drives the contract. Uh, And and so often we have armies of um, professional procurement officials all with I hope I'm not offending anyone uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> with with, 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 with um, um, skill recognition certificates and all the rest of it. But they 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 are they are procurement people, and what what and it's been identified in lots of reports is what what is lacking is it is actually uh, people on the client side who understand the, the the project, the requirement, and the delivery in terms of the contract and what's what's needed, and and, and too too much of it's sort of driven by procurement. What I, loosely call it a euphemism, I suppose, procurement professionals. So, so here, so that, and that really comes into the lack of upfront. These are in government reports identifying this. So problems of competitive dialogue particularly were lack of upfront front planning, capability resources and good project management, High, higher bid costs, which was supposed to be the opposite, uh, and uh, complexities and uncertainties. So that's things like ground risk planning, all these things not being properly developed, <coughs> or more f- effectively p- p- developed, and risk just chucked over the wall uh, to the contractor side, which is which is ultimately not the answer um, uh, and, and then we also have procurement models and uh, we we'll obviously most economically adva- advantageous tenders and so on and that and that I think we, and we 'll all have played with whole life costing and, and different models, but you do have contracts whatever the weighting to quality and price uh, they 're they're, they're too much focused on price, and you can 't at this early stage of a complex contract you can 't uh, nail price—that's that—that's—that's that's just the reality. So you, so you, you have to find uh, some sort of different solution. Uh, and that—that's what we are looking at the U- in the UK, and I imagine everyone <laughs> across the, uh, certainly across Europe, is looking for. I mean, there's a massive need for investment in infrastructure. Uh, most governments are strapped for cash, uh, so th- 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 there's a huge challenge there for everyone. Uh, what we're seeing in, in, for procurement models is they're becoming more project specific. So if you've got um, uh, a power station, or a railway, or a, a um, uh, or a school. There, there are, d- there are different forms of contract, different different models of procurement that are being looked at. We, and I know you all love concession contracts on the continent. Um, we, we, we're starting to get used to the concept of a concession contract and people paying for things like roads. Or um, so, so th- there's that. There's direct procurement. Uh, and what's called a regulatory asset-based models, uh, which is so exactly an example would be the the massive Thames Thames Tideway project in London, uh, where it's effectively uh, it's financed uh, through the the ability of the water company to recover charges from uh, from customers. So it, 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 an important thing is it provides a revenue stream uh, which can bring in the capital funding to 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 uh, finance the project. Um, and I've already talked about. Strategic programs. <coughs> so that's five five more minutes. Okay. So 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 then then two stage tendering and, and two stage tendering. Um, is something that's a, a misnomer uh, for me as a procurement lawyer because I think of two-stage tendering. With PQQ, that's the first stage, and then this I, ITT is the second stage. Whereas this, this is it's a different concept. This is, this is the construction guys that they're are speaking. Uh, so w- once I've got my head around uh, around that confusion, uh, that, that, that then I can un- I can try and understand it. Um, there's a standard form of model uh, framework contract, and again, I need to get my head around that because it's not a framework agreement, which is what I, you know, a procurement lawyer might understand it to be. And a, We all know a procurement, effort, certainly in the public sector, a framework agreement can't be more than four, more than four years. Uh, so that would s- strike through most, <laughs> most 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 projects. Uh, so, but again, that this. We've, We've gone around the houses with all these strategic partnering arrangements. They, they are not framework agreements, they are framework contracts. So there's a, there's a commitment uh, to build or to, to deliver uh, a project, obviously subject to certain provisos and conditions and all the rest of it, but that's not a framework agreement. <coughs> um, two-stage tendering has been used uh, for a number of uh, complex infrastructure projects that don't fit into the traditional uh, PFI, PPP model that I was talking about earlier. Um, there's some, ex- some examples there. Um, the, there, there are, there are certain from, a, from a procurement rules point of view, there are these similarities, as I've already said, to uh, strategic um, uh, framework agreements. I sort of added in mistakenly another acronym there, which is Building Schools for the Future, which is Partnership for Schools. S- same thing as schools. Uh, so what, what's the? And, and sorry, the last bullet there is: most of these, certainly the, all, the, all those in the, on, the, on the board there, all those projects are. Um, publicly funded, so they haven't involved uh, private debt or financing coming in. So there's a question about whether um, uh, wh- whether whether that two-stage tendering type of model can be used in a project which is going to require private finance. So. Uh, Chris had uh, those models before about the, the 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 design and 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 then and the design through to uh construction. What we we'll have to think about, I think in, in PFI models where you bring in private finance is, is the stage where you actually bring in private finance as well, which some of my colleagues later might come on to. So that's um well, this is how two-stage tendering works, certainly from an NEC, so from a UK point of view. Um, um, you can forget my obsession with OGUs and PQQ, but you, st- you go straight to the ITT There's an invitation to tender for initial tenders, and those include cr- key elements of price. So uh, we call them, you know, I'm getting into construction language that I don't understand, but uh, profit, overheads, preliminaries, um, that's the, the contract that's awarded at the conclusion of the competitive stage of the procurement is called a pre-construction services agreement. Uh, a PCSA, I'm, I'm sure you have some other acronym, an acronym for it, uh, um, in the Netherlands, um, <coughs> and then there's work with the contractor to develop a main building contract, which is all, all the stuff that Chris has just been talking about. <coughs> Excuse me, and then the the um, just jumping to the second bullet here. So the key issue from a public procurement rules point of view, uh, and again Chris has covered this. I, I, is there is there being a sufficient link uh, between the procurement process that awarded the pre-construction services agreement, whatever we want to call it, uh, and and the main building contract? So you, there, ha, there has to be um, a, um, a contractual and procurement uh, link to it. Um, I have seen this on sort of some smaller projects where you um, have a guaranteed maximum price included in the original um, agreement. So you, tr- you you try and uh, bring, pull the bridge across. Effect, not not the sky bridge, but metaphorical bridge, uh, across to the, the the main building contract, and sort of pull it in. So you're not, you're not awarding two contracts, you're awarding uh, a single contract which has got a first part, and the second part of that contract is is, is only going to be um, entered into um, on, on on delivery of the first part. So. And that's, um, and I'll leave that to the contract lawyers to work out how you how how you put that together. But conceptually, um, and I, I think certainly your, the model you created twenty years ago, and the models that we are using in the UK, conceptually from a public procurement rules point of view, they do do that, and 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 they should should I think be considered to uh, workable at least. So conclusions uh, the. Um, so we're wrestling with exactly the same issues that you're wrestling with here in the Netherlands. And I mean, this is a public procurement forum for us at CMS. We all <laughs> are, are, have exactly the same challenges, apart from in Austria, where obviously they do it all perfectly. <laughs> uh, um, uh, and there, there, there is a real need for uh, traditional PP mod- models to, to, to evolve. Uh, and... So, then, and what we're talking about here is lift, lifting out a construction model, which is two-stage tendering, which all the construction lawyers are familiar with, and trying to put it into a public sector PPP, larger project uh, type of initiative. And I certainly, don't see any reason why that shouldn't happen, uh, and uh, and it is happening in different in different sort of contractual forms. Uh, and l- lastly, there um, it's also possibly a better fit for if we are going to be using CPN, competitive n- negotiated procedure. Uh, it's, it, it, and I suppose you don't want to get pejorative about it because that's the thing the European Commission had a problem with before. But I- if you're getting into um, a similar process where you're getting initial, in, an initial bids in a, 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 a contractual, a framework contract to work with, and then you're possibly having a, a twelve-month, um, two two-two-year, three-year uh, um, period before you actually commit to a fully priced uh, building contract then there's the, 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 the similarities to, the, to that as a procurement process, at least in terms of the commercial dynamics of it and the, the project-specific elements of it and how you do that. So that's, that, that's my, my back to the future. So I went back to... I didn't build a model, though. <laughs> but that, that's, uh, back, back, to, back to 2006, when, um, when we were using negotiated procedure and the uh, European Commission wasn't on our backs, which won't be for much longer. OK. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to the CMS podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and stay up to date on infrastructure, projects, and public procurement from a legal perspective. You can find a link to the subscription form in the description. Until next time.